Well, that's the kind of seamless introduction we love here at the Rec Poker Podcast. If you're hearing my voice, you know it's a forums edition. I'm Jim Reed, Blufsterini in the home game and at Jim in the forums. I'm joined by the panel as always. We're out here trying to bust each other in the Rec Poker home game and talking a little poker strategy along the way. Chris, why don't you tell us where we can meet you? Uh, I'm Chris Jones. I'm 5x5 five five on PokerStars, Twitter, and in the forums. And I'm John Somsky. I'm Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Rob Washam. I'm Rabman50 everywhere. See, I really should have just made my handle the same everywhere because I love the way you guys get to just roll that out. It sounds so easy and convenient, but, uh, you know, we're not all as smart as you guys, John and Rob. We're learning. We're coming for you. We're closing the gap. One of the folks closing the gap with us this week, Eric Jin, was kind enough to join us for one more week in our forums edition. Eric is a great poster, always brings some interesting hands to discuss. And uh, Eric, why don't you tell the crowd at home where they can find you in the home game and in the forums here? This is Derek Jen. I am Binkley on the Rec.Poker forums and COM Binkley in the home games. Well, thanks for joining us tonight, Eric. Um, we are going to be talking about a hand. Uh, the post is called Missing Value and Making Mistakes. It's by at ARW, whose name you hear here uh, from time to time because he's an epic poster. And we love talking about the hands that ARW brings. So I'll just run us through the action here. Um, this is at the 5100 level of a tournament. Uh, ARW is sitting there with King of Diamonds, 10 of Spades, with about 5,000 chips. Um, so not short, there's still some action here. And uh, ACR, ARW rather, raises min raise to 200, the button calls and the big blind calls. So we're three-way. The flop comes King of Clubs, 10 of Clubs, two of Spades, and uh, it goes check, check, check. Um, so ARW chooses to check the two pair there. We'll get into that action in a bit. What's interesting is the turn comes the nine of clubs. So king of clubs, 10 of clubs, two of spades, nine of clubs. So there's, the, there's a straight, there's a flush, the big blind checks, ARW checks two pair again, and the villain on the button bets 600 into 1150. The big blind folds, and the question is what to do now. So we basically have four options as ARW lays out. We can fold, we can call the 600, we can raise to about 2000, which would be about half the effective stack, or we could raise all in. And we could quibble over the sizing of the um, third option there, but I think a non all in size. And uh, the other information <laughs> that ARW says, as played, I have no idea why I didn't bet the flop or the turn with two pair. <laughs> I was likely distracted. And um, in the past, I've, compound I've compounded my mistake in this spot. Uh, during the hand, ARW says they notice that they're playing in a weird line where they likely missed value. And then they decide to go and try and make up for that missed value by betting or raising when they shouldn't. So the question is, how should we proceed at this point? So. I mean, top two pair on the flop seems like a monster. And, and yeah, I think it probably plays better as, a, as an aggressive action on the flop is played. But it's a very interesting spot when that, uh, when that turn comes in and it sort of brings the world. What are you guys thinking when you're, when you're in that position? Uh, in the past, I've definitely had the same issue about trying to catch up 
Mm. You know, oh, I should have bet this on the flop, so I'll bet twice as much here. <laughs> but what you really end up doing is you just basically ensure that you're going to lose the maximum because you're pricing everyone that you're beating out. So chances are they aren't going to call you unless, you know, they're just a horrible player. And if they are calling you, you very well may not have the best hand anymore. So it makes it, you just have to kind of pretend like you, you timed out and for some reason it got, you woke up and now here's the hand in front of you and get the value that's appropriate at this exact moment in time. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. And I think it, it, the value that's in front of us here is that we have uh, a, a hand that's really marginal at this point. It's not, it's, it's a good hand. I, I think it'd be a mistake to fold it, but it would be uh, a mistake, I think, to raise it as well. I think this is a hand we should be calling. Um, our opponent, we want to keep the hands that our opponent, you know, that we've checked twice, two, two players have checked twice to this button. Now that we've uh, done that, uh, I think button is probably making this stab. We want to keep these kind of hands in there with, um, and yes, they can get there, right? They, they can have jacks, they can have single clubs, they can have, um, you know, a lot of those hands that we're well ahead of, even the single pair hands might be betting this after two checks, but we want to keep those hands in there. Um, let, I, I think you, this is a, to me, this is a pretty clear call uh, and then see where we land. I mean, I think I agree. We should have taken an earlier action probably on this flop maybe even this turn. But now that we're here, I think this is a pretty clear call. Yeah, if we, if we raise, we've turned our two pair hand into a bluff, basically. Um, so we can call easily. I mean, there are other two weaker two pairs that, you know, uh, button could be betting. Um, and also, even if we are behind, we could, you know, we could, uh, get a, a good river that fills us up and now we're ahead. So, um, yeah, raising just pushes out, uh, weaker hands and only gets called by stronger or, or stronger draws. And I think there are some one card draws in that range there where there's the three straight and the three flush, um, on the turns, especially when it's gone check all the way to, uh, the button on both streets. I mean, they really should be firing there with a lot of non-made hands, honestly, um, because it's scary and people haven't had a chance to, you know, people have not taken up their own chance to uh, threaten the pot. So you want them to be able to either give up, because like, what you really want to do is get to showdown, right? Like that's really what you want to do. You want to get your two pair to show down as cheaply as possible on, on the rare rivers where you don't get that other king or 10. Cause you know, that does come every once in a while. And you, you've been the one with the straight or the flush when that, when that uh, boats up on the river for sure. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think it makes sense that uh, raising here is like a panic raise. It's like a, Oh wait, I thought I had this hand under control and now this terrible turn has come and I like must protect my hand. And, and I think it, it's that attitude that John's talking about. Uh, and and uh, ARW does mention in here about like making up for it. And um, I think Chris really said it best. 
you have your, your decision is the one decision that's in front of you now. You have to make a decision that's based on as played, the action as it is, make good assumptions right now and make the best decision you can for the hand in front of you at the moment. And, and I think this is the same way about chip stacks. You know, if you have 50 big blinds and you're entering a hand, it shouldn't matter if you used to have 25 big blinds and you just doubled up or you used to have 100 big blinds and someone just took half your chips. It's the same hand. It's the same decision you have to make. The factors are the same. The, what happened right before is not a mathematically relevant factor to the decision that you have to make. Um, it's harder to do in these spots mid-hand because you feel like on the flop, I mean, in my case, you know, if I check behind there, it's because I feel like I own this hand. Like I don't have to protect it anymore. And um, an another thing that's interesting, ARW says, you know, maybe I was just distracted. And that's a real thing. Uh, like I, I play online a lot more than I play live. And I, I, I am not always paying 100% attention to it uh, every minute. I know some of us are playing the home game right now as we talk about this, but um, distractions do happen. And especially if you're going to be playing while you do other stuff or you're multi-tabling, like have a strategy for that. And the strategy shouldn't be to just like freak out on the turn and, and put more chips in, which is not what ARW is advocating here. But um, yeah, so short answer. I agree. I think it plays best as a call. Two, two, two things I'd add to that. First of all, I want to give credit where credit's due. And John was the one who had all that, the wisdom about, uh, <laughs> about uh, that, not me. So hopefully this part of my second part of my statement is the wisdom part. But that is um, that I think that um, sometimes we, we might have that feeling. Like I, I've been in this situation too, where I think I either think I've got an aggressive opponent on a flop like this, or I think I've got this so locked up that I'm going to check and see if somebody will bet behind me and see if I can get some more money in this pot. And then it doesn't go that way, right? And it checks around. And then some obvious, like, card comes. It's like, oh, God, that changes the entire dynamic of the flop. But I would argue that this is the type of hand that we should still be, even on this turn, we should be betting, like leading out um, rather than waiting. Because um, I think we would have probably heard from most club combinations, possibly not from... Um, but, you know, I, I think I possibly not from the big blind. Big blind could still have some club combinations and check twice. But it seems it seems it's less likely. And so this is a turn that sometimes you see that scary card after you've tried to get sneaky on you on a flop. And then you come to the turn and it's like, ah, dang it. Now I got this card come. And then you check again. And I think that's a big mistake. I think that this is a turn where we, we should be leading a lot. Um, and are often, um, I think we're often still ahead. Yeah, I, we don't know what ARW's position is. Um, we know it's before the button, obviously. Um, I don't know if he raised from early position, but keep in mind that on the uh, pre-flop, he just got two calls. He raised and got two calls. Now it was a mid-raise, but he just raised and got two calls. So. We're not looking at a hugely strong, necessarily a strong hand. Um, when the big blind checks and then ARW checks on the on the flop, I would think somebody with an ace high club draw may be 
throwing out a bet on there on the button. And, and again, this is all a villain dependent. We always say, right, it's villain dependent. But I would look at that um, when it gets checked around all the way to the button on the turn, that he could be making a stab with just about anything. A weaker ten or a weaker king, he could be making a stab with a ten, with a nine. He could have a pair of eights. Does you know? He could have all kinds of stuff. He could have a he could have a flush draw right now with the ace of clubs. You know, have a ace eight type of hand um, that he's just making a stab at it. So I don't necessarily put the button on a very strong hand when he does this action. So a call is definitely warranted here. Um, Again, you don't want to raise and then get re-raised and then have to, because the only hand that's going to re-raise you is one that's got you beat. So keeping the pot small as best you can out of position, just making a call here and see what progresses on the river. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's important, Rob points out, that uh, it's a calling range from the button that we're really worried about here. Um, and when the when the turn comes, king... 10 9 a lot of that range has a, a pair plus draw there um you know there's a lot of 10 jack jack uh well not jack queen that would be a pretty good one but you know king jack uh 10 queen there's a lot of those like middle broadway that didn't make the three bet but they've got a pair or maybe they've got like a pair plus draw or they're two pair here so i think there's actually there's a there's a there's a range that you can value target here um, effectively with your top two pair. And so I think betting, betting the turn, even though it looks terrible, uh, th there's something to that as long as you are planning for, you know, those terrible river cards that come and understanding that, yeah, every once in a while they're going to have a straight or a flush. And, but a lot of the time, by a long shot, they're going to have a, a one pair hand with a draw or a two pair hand that's worse than yours. Um, so I think that's, I think that's a really good point. We do get some other commenters in here. Uh, uh, TV Stensby, Stensby says uh, he would turn his two pair into a bluff catcher here without a read on the villain. I would assume that he stabs often enough that calling down is profitable and check folding river only when the river card connects with the board and the villain, uh, villain bets big, uh, which, yeah, that's not going to be every time. It's uh, basically low red cards, <laughs> what, you're, what you're rooting for. Um, and then uh, Ace Ragoff, who I always, always want to call Ace Ragoff, uh, because I think he's a golfer. And so I see the Ace and I think like... It's, no, it's Ace Ragoff. Oh, it's definitely Ace Ragoff. No, yeah, I, yeah, this yeah. is Dan. That's Dan. Yeah, he's a fun guy too. Yep. We, oh, yeah. And he says... I used uh, to work with him. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. We worked cool. at the same place. Um, he's, he's been in the home games quite a bit too. He, yep. He's a, he's a fun. Oh, he won a, fun, he won a TOC too. We had him on the. That's right. We got a chance yep. to get the live, uh, live yeah, replay. Exactly. Yep. That was fun. Yep. That was fun. Um, so Ace Rag off here says that, uh, I can understand a check on the flop, but as seen by the turn, super coordinated bird board and prefers a bet. Um, and yeah, he's got some other good candidates out there that you can get, uh, get calls from. So, uh, yeah, well, I, I got really, the, the thing that I really want to talk about was this sort of catching up or making up for it on a later street, which is something that I, I fall prey to all the time. And I think the real key is 
that poker is just a series of these isolated decision points. And you can, you have to factor in everything that's happened so far, but that doesn't mean that you have to just like continue with the plan that you think would have been a good plan if things had gone differently. <laughs> yeah. I think one of those cases that's most common is when you're planning a check raise and then your opponent doesn't uh, oblige you by continuation betting or betting or whatever the case may be. And it's so frustrating, especially if it's a very coordinated board like this case, you know, and then the, the flush comes on the turn and now you don't know what you should do because the hand that you had that was the nuts, like let's say you flop top set. Now, what are you going to do with it? Um, so, it, and that's one of the hardest things I have a problem with because you almost at that point feel entitled to the pot and you feel entitled to the big pot. Well, the cards don't know that. So when they start coming, you just have to react to reality, <laughs> not what your expectation of what it should have been. Well, it sounds like there's a life lesson there. John. No, that is, that is very well said because I think a lot of people tend to get that, uh, that feeling that they're entitled to this pot because of the hand that they had on the flop or the hand that they had pre-flop. Obviously, if you have aces, you're going to win the hand, right? Well, <laughs> Every time. I, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't always happen. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great example, John, because it is that, that check raise opportunity comes up all the time. And, and you think, oh, they've got to bet this, right? Like, if, just like Eric was mentioning on an earlier episode, you're projecting onto them that you would be C betting here all the time. And so um, surely they will. And then they don't. And you feel like you're owed this bet that should have gone into the pot there. Uh, and so you're going to have to get it now on this later street. And uh, the fact is the, the, the board has changed. So, I mean, part of that you can combat by hand selection, by choosing, well, in certain, certain check raise spots, you know, maybe you want to play that as a donk instead. Maybe, maybe you just have a note on this villain. We, we talk about this hashtag villain dependent all the time. And I think we should probably shout out to Merv Harvey from the post-flop poker podcast, because I think, I think I stole the hashtag villain dependent from Merv. So Merv, if you're listening, yeah, you did. I, I think that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a compliment. It's the, uh, the yeah. most sincere and highest form of flattery Merv. So you're all the way across the world. Let you know, you've got some love here on the rec poker podcast, Merv. Thank you for that. Um, and yeah, villain dependent, especially when it comes to this kind of post-flop stuff. Uh, I think it really helps to know who you're playing against because people play different ranges very differently post-flop and you can sort of get by pre-flop on just being sound and mathematically uh, in, in consistent yourself. But if you want to get, if you want to get really into post-flop poker, then it, it helps to know the people you're playing against. But I'll always say check raise more. You should always just check raise more if you have the opportunity. Sometimes the world doesn't oblige. <laughs> All right. Well, any other uh, comments on um, missing value, making mistakes, uh, check raising, that kind of thing? Doesn't sound like it. So without any further ado, I'll thank our wonderful sponsors, website AMP, Learn Pro Poker, and Running Aces, Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Holy cow, guys, we did it. Eric, Rob, Chris, John, thanks for talking poker with me, guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks.